Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Father, we thank you for a great evening tonight. God, we are excited about you sharing and moving in our hearts this evening. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way. I have your way in our hearts and in the service. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Guys, it's so awesome to be with you once again here at the Journey Church live stream. Um, we are actually in a series right now called After the Cross. We kicked this off a couple weeks ago, uh, week one, talking about a topic that is so incredibly important and needs to be preached from every pulpit in every church across America or via live stream now that we're in this whole apocalypse deal. But that topic is this, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, your sins and my sins have been completely forgiven. Yes, your sins and my sins have been completely forgiven. That is the sins of our past, the things that we may do wrong currently in this life right now, and the things that we may do wrong in the future. Even the things that we swore that we would never do again, those things have been forgiven. And they have been forgiven not because we've begged God to forgive us, not because we've we repented, though repentance is a good thing. Repentance is the word metanoia, which means to change your mind about a particular thing. So repentance is good. But your forgiveness and my forgiveness is not bought with the currency of repentance. Your forgiveness, my forgiveness is bought with the currency of love. And it was love that hung on the cross of Calvary and looked out over humanity, both past, present, and future, and said, Father, they are forgiven, or Father, forgive them. They are forgiven, for they know not what they do. That is love on display. That is the place where our sins have been forgiven. And I think that's a powerful thing. I think if we as Christians, we grab the hold of this, this truth, it would change our lives. We wouldn't spend our lives constantly worrying about what we've done wrong and, and where we've missed the mark at. We would actually begin to spend our lives as Christians enjoying this relationship that we have with God that is completely unhindered by our performance. Your sins and my sins have been forgiven. Now, again, if you missed the series, man, or missed the message, I would encourage you to go back to thejourneychurch.cc, and you can check it out there, or you can get it at the Journey Church uh, podcast on all your podcasting platforms, um, but it's a powerful message. Um, before we move on, I just want to hit this verse over in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. This is what it says. It says, so also Christ was offered once for all time, once for all time, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. It says he will come again, but not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly are waiting, awaiting for him. You see, Jesus Christ forgave us of our sins. He was the payment of our sins. We used to not to pay off God, but to pay off sin itself. He took care of sin. He forgave our sins, past, present, and future. And again, if we can begin to embrace that, we will live a completely different life as a follower of Jesus Christ. One that's not uh, bound up by our performance. Again, one, one that is set free by the grace of God. One that is empowered by love. That was week one. Our sins are forgiven. Week two, uh, Pastor Kim and my beautiful bride did a fantastic job teaching on who we are. 
You see, we kind of framed these messages based around questions, right? So week one is what happened. What happened was our sin was forgiven. Week two is another question. Who are we? Who are we? And again, Kim did such a great job teaching on this. What she taught us was three things. One, you are righteous. You are in right standing. And because you're in right standing, you desire to live right. And I think it's backwards. We get it so backwards, don't we? When we think that in order to to be right, we have to strive and try to do all the right things. No, we will live more righteous on accident by understanding, one, that our sins are forgiven, and two, that we've already been made righteous. We will live more holy by accident when we understand those things if we, than we could ever do trying out of our own effort, our own willpower, our own ability. And so she taught us what the word righteous meant. You, you are righteous. You are currently right now in this moment, uh, in your house, in your pajamas, eating your barbecue chips, whatever it is you're eating. You're right now. You are perfect. You are pure. You are holy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. There was an exchange that took place on the cross of Jesus Christ, and the benefits we now receive after the cross is that we are righteous. We are pure. We stand right now holy and blameless before God. And it is this righteousness that places us in right standing with God. We can stand before God without having to worry about all the things that we've done wrong in our lives. We can stand before God, as Hebrews says, with a boldness and a confidence. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in a time of need. We can do that because we have been made righteous. We have been made righteous. And again, because we've been made righteous and we now have right standing with God, then the outflow of understanding this is that we desire to live righteous. We desire to live righteous. So what happened after the cross or at the cross was I was forgiven. You were forgiven. And what happened after the cross was you and I, we were made righteous with God. Well, we're going to continue this series on week three talking about the next question or answering the next question. Who is with me? This is a game changer for the body of Christ. If we would begin to understand who is with us 24-7, seven days a week, our lives would be radically transformed. Before we dive into that, let me just share with you this funny story, right? So when I was like eight or nine years old, I used to watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on TV. Y'all, some of y'all remember that cartoon that, that used to uh, show back in the like mid to late 80s, right? The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original. It was classic. And as an eight-year-old kid who was obsessed with the Karate Kid and obsessed with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, as an eight-year-old kid, I thought, just because I had seen so many episodes, that I knew how to be a ninja. And I would go outside in my front yard and I would practice and I would kick imaginary opponents and I always won. That's how it works when you fight imaginary people. Come on, somebody, y'all know that. When you fight imaginary people, you always win, right? And so I remember that's how I I lived, I acted as an eight-year-old kid. And as an eight-year-old kid, you kind of have some things uh, that, some ideas that you have that maybe aren't exactly right. Like, like guys are always better than girls, right? You, you have that. Some of us as adults, we still have that mindset. You need to change your mind. You need to repent, change your mind, change your thinking. But we have that, I had that mindset at eight years old. 
And I remember I went to my friend Robbie's house uh, at the end of the street that I lived at. And, and while I was hanging out with Robbie, Robbie's older sister had a friend of hers that was over. Now, she was about 14 years old. Now, I'm eight. She's 14 years old, right? And we're hanging out at Robbie's house. And Robbie knew something that I didn't know. See, when, when Robbie and I used to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, when we played together, um, I would always beat up Robbie because Robbie was Shredder. And Robbie didn't really choose to be Shredder. That's just how the game went because I was bigger than Robbie. So Robbie was always Shredder and I always beat Robbie up, right? But Robbie knew something about his sister's friend that I didn't know that day that we were over there. And that was his, sister, his sister's friend, uh, the 14-year-old girl, was a black belt in judo. Now listen, here's what I know as an 8-year-old kid. No girl can beat up a boy. Plain and simple. And so I remember thinking, she's a black belt? And Robbie was like, yeah, I bet you can't beat her up. And I was like, I bet you I can. And so I walked over to Robbie. Now listen, don't judge me. Don't judge 8-year-old Chris, okay? This is a story. Right, and so, and so he said, I bet you can't beat her up. So I was like, oh yeah, I bet you I can. So I walk over to her and I said, I looked at her. Now, now she's much taller than me. So I, I looked at her and I said, you a black belt? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, you a black belt in judo? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, you know what? She said, what? I said, I can kick over your head. Y'all know where this is going, right? And she looked at me and she smirked and she said, really, you can kick over my head? And I said, yeah, I can kick over your head. And so I dropped back in my best fighting stance that eight-year-old Chris who had watched hours of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles knew how to do. And I got myself ready and I threw the hardest, the highest kick I could possibly throw. The problem was I threw a kick so hard that it literally lifted my whole body off the ground. I went up and I was, I was horizontal with the ground, parallel with the ground. And so I go up. And then all of a sudden I realized I'm floating and then I wasn't floating and I bam, I hit the concrete and every ounce of air that I had woke up breathing in and out that morning left my body. In that moment, I died. I felt like I just completely died. If you've ever gotten the wind knocked out of you, you understand what I'm talking about. I literally felt like I died. I could not get myself to breathe in any of this air that was very present just a few moments ago. And, and, and at that moment, I, once I finally got my breath back, I had some tears in my eyes and I ran home. I don't know what hurt more, right? I don't know what hurt more, me landing on my back and losing all the air that I'd ever breathed in my life in that one moment or the fact that a 14-year-old black belt in judo beat an eight-year-old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle without even touching me. I don't know which was worse. But I'll tell you this, it, it, it brings up a good point. Sometimes we don't realize how important something is in our lives because it's something we see or feel or have on a daily basis. And we don't realize the value of that thing until it's gone. Just like the air that got knocked out of me. I didn't realize the value of the air that I was breathing that morning until it was gone. And I think the church, out of ignorance or maybe complacency, I think the church falls in the same place. We, we don't understand the value of having the Holy Spirit of God residing on the inside of us. We wake up, we do life, we go to work, we do marriage, we do parenting, we do all these things, and never taking time to stop and evaluate that we have the creative force of God living on the inside of us, always with us. He is the Holy Spirit, the very essence of God. He is the power of God. He's not some mystical force like you would see in Star Wars, though I thought that he was at times in my Christian walk, that he was the 
thing that showed up in a really spiritual moment, a really strong power, a prayer meeting, or a really strong service at church. But he's not a mystical force that comes and goes. He is the very essence of God. He is the very power of God. He was in the beginning and will forever be. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, let me grab my Bible, paper Bible, y'all. Genesis chapter 1, it's in the front. Uh, look what it says real quick. In Genesis chapter 1, if you need help finding it, there's a table of contents in the front. It's the very first book. I'm just kidding. All right, so Genesis chapter 1. I'm getting there, y'all. Look, now, now see, I shouldn't have joked. Genesis chapter 1 is right here. All this other stuff in here, too. Um, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. It's coming. It's What the world? Who put all this in here? All right, here, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, and it says this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now watch, it says, and the earth was formless, right, or void, and empty, and the darkness covered the deep waters. And it says this, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So the Holy Spirit was there from the very beginning. The Spirit of God hovered over the, the face of the waters, the surface of the waters, right? Now, the word spirit right here is the word ruach, right? Ruach. You got to almost say the second part like you're clearing your throat. Like you got to look at ruach, right? Ruach is how you say it. And, it. and it literally means this. It's the power of God unseen by which all the universe is animated and filled with life and governed. So the Holy Spirit is the, is the unseen power of God of the whole universe, right? And it's what causes the universe to be animated and filled with life. So the earth was formless and void, right? Defined as, as chaos to which the Holy Spirit would bring about order. The Holy Spirit brought about he brought about order. Now, if you go over to Genesis chapter 2 real quick, I want to show you this. Genesis chapter 2, look what it says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Holy Spirit wasn't just present in, in creation. He wasn't just present and hovering over the, the waters and the deep, right? But he was present in the very creation and the animation and the life of, of man, of the first man, Adam, or humanity, as it, as it states. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 7, it said, And then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Now, I want you to get that. So the Holy Spirit is the Ruach of God, the, the unseen power of God that is responsible for life and the animation of things. And just a chapter later, in the creation of Adam and Eve, the Bible says that God breathed into Adam, and he became a living being. He breathed into Adam the Ruach, the, the Holy Spirit, and it animated, he animated Adam's body and gave life to Adam. Not only has he given life to Adam, but that very Spirit of God has given life to all of humanity. He is the breath that we are breathing. He is the breath that exited my body as the eight-year-old me tried to kick at the 14-year-old black belt in judo. He is the spirit of God, the breath of life. Now, when you go back and you study in the Old Testament, you see uh, a couple of different places throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, working with, with humanity, working with man. And so you see it, uh, you see him in, in, in the story of Joseph when Joseph has to interpret some dreams for Pharaoh. 
and, and nobody else could do it. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon Joseph and Joseph was able to interpret the dreams, right, that Pharaoh had. There was another guy named Belzazel. I think that's how you say his name, Belzazel, who was responsible. He was the artist responsible for creating the beautiful pieces in the tabernacle, right, when the tabernacle was being built. And the Holy Spirit of God uh, overshadowed him or empowered him. Uh, gave him the creative ability to create these wonderful things. And then you read about the prophets. And at any different time, the prophets would, would act under the power of the Holy Spirit, pointing to a time when the Messiah would come and the Spirit of God would rest on all people. On, on certain prophets, he would rest on them, empower them, rest on them, and then rest on them, and then rest on them, and then leave and rest on them. And, but it was always pointing to the time of the Messiah coming and the Spirit of God resting on all people, resting in all people, right? And so, so that's where it's at. Now, if you go over to Matthew uh, chapter 3, and verses 16, let's grab your Bible once again. You can probably just see it on the screen right below me. But Matthew chapter 3, look what it says real quick. I want to show you this. Matthew 3, 16 through 17 says this. And it says, uh, after his baptism, let's talk about Jesus, right? So John the Baptist, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. John the Baptist is baptizing people in repentance of their sins, to change their minds about their sin. Here comes Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, who, is, who comes to take away the sin of the world. And look what happens at this moment that, that Jesus is baptized by John. It says, And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, setting upon him. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son. I love the New King James. It says, This is my beloved. That word beloved almost sounds like it should be said by James Earl Jones. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The beloved. This is my beloved Son. The one who has been loved, the one who is being loved, and the one who will forever be loved. Did you know that you were God's beloved as well? But so he says, This is my beloved Son who brings me. Uh, great joy. So the Spirit of God is seen descending upon Jesus. Now this is going to be, uh, this is important, so just stay with me. And then if you go over to Matthew, uh, go over to Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 1. How many of y'all still find your Bibles like this? Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke comes after Mark. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. And then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. So not only did the Holy Spirit rest upon Jesus, but now the Spirit of God is also residing in Jesus. And we're going to see some incredible things here soon in just a moment. But he was full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led into the, uh, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it was there he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing. Uh, all, uh, Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. So the ministry of Jesus didn't fully begin until the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, until Holy Spirit uh, descended upon him and indwelled him. His ministry didn't begin until then, because just a few verses over in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he quotes an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, and this is what he says. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news. Who is upon Jesus? The Spirit of the Lord. 
Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and, and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I, I find this incredible, right? Because in the very beginning, when God's creating the, the universe through the word of God, Jesus, through the Logos, there the Holy Spirit is bringing order from chaos or bringing order to chaos. And, and here it is again, his role, this is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. He is always there to bring about order, to bring about harmony. That's what he does so well. And so here Jesus is implanted into the world, God in the flesh, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's doing the exact same thing again. He has empowered Jesus, right, to bring uh, to bring order from chaos. Let me just go back and read it to you again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring good news, order to chaos, the, the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, to bring freedom to those who are bound, to bring order to chaos, that the blind will see. Again, Order to chaos, right? That the oppressed will be set free. Yet again, order to chaos. And then my favorite part of the verse, right? It says right here, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Do you know that Holy Spirit is blowing the trumpet of God's favor in your life? That that is proof positive that God is for you. That is proof positive that God is madly in love with you. It says that he gave us proof. And the proof of that was the Holy Spirit sealed in our hearts. Bringing order to chaos. I love this. So Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And a lot of times we think that, well, Jesus, because he is 100% God and he is 100% man, he was able to do all these supernatural or miraculous things. But, but the Bible says that, that he emptied himself, right, and took on the flesh of, uh, of man and, and, and he was able to do what he did, not because he was 100% God, but because he allowed the Holy Spirit to anoint him as a man. That's powerful. That's good because what happens outside of that, right? So if, if Jesus only did what he did because he was God and that was it, then when he issues to us, and I, I think I might be jumping ahead of myself, but when he issues to us these works you would do and greater works will you do, it almost places us into a, into a spot of going, well, then how do I do that? You're God. That's how you did that. What about me? How am I going to do this? Well, it becomes a, it's a whole different story when you recognize or realize that Jesus operated as uh, the Messiah, anointed and empowered by the very Holy Spirit who indwells you, who has covered you right now because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, but he limited himself to man and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it best. Uh, he said this. He said, it's best for you that I go. If you go over to John 16, this is going to be so good, y'all. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There it is after, after Luke. Go to John chapter 16 real quick and uh, look what it says. This is so, so good, right? I don't know if it's hitting you like it hit me, but man, it's hitting me. It's so good. So good. All right, so John chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, but in fact... But in fact, it is best for you, talking to his disciples, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. It is better 
that I go away. Why in the world would Jesus say it's better that I go away? Why in the world would, would that seem, why does that seem like that's actually a better deal than having Jesus walking with us? I think some of us, we would think to ourselves, man, it must have been so incredible to walk alongside Jesus. And, and those were the glory days. Those were the best days of the, of the church, the beginning of the church, walking with Jesus. But Jesus had a different perspective. He said, it's actually better for you that I not be here with you, that I go away. Because when I go away, the Holy Spirit comes to you, makes his, his home in you, and empowers you. And this is why it's so important, because during the, the time of Jesus, his ministry area was limited. He mainly ministered to a place or to an area around Capernaum, Capernaum and around Capernaum. And, and when the disciples walked with Jesus, they did miraculous things. You remember that, right? You remember that they were blown away that they could go cast out demons. They were blown away that they could heal the sick. And, and so they operated in the supernatural. But watch this. The supernatural power that they operated in was on loan to them from Jesus. In other words, remember Jesus said, I give you the authority to go and do these things, right? So Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and he gives on extension, on loan, these, this power of God, this amazing, incredible power, miraculous power of God. He gives it on loan to the disciples. The disciples begin to go out and do their job, right? So why it's so incredible when it, that he says, why it's better that I go away is because when, when Jesus, while he was here, it was Jesus in his two hands. And then the loaned power to the disciples. But when he says, I go away, the Holy Spirit comes. Now it's all the little Jesuses in the world, right? You're a little Jesus. Do you know that? You're called by God to be a little Christ in this world. So when people, we look at it and say, oh, well, well, people would be better off if they understood the Jesus I know. No, people would be better off if they would see the Jesus you know in you, right? You're called to be Jesus. You're called to operate and respond in this life just like me. I'm called to operate and respond in this life just like Jesus. And I'm able to do this because I am infilled, I'm, I'm indwelled with the power of Holy Spirit, and the Holy, Holy Spirit is upon me. And he said this, which is so incredible. He goes on to say, um, he goes on to tell them, you know, these works that I do, you see me do, you will do also, and you will do greater works than these. That's mind-blowing. How in the world can we do the works of Jesus and do greater works? I don't necessarily think that, that the way he's explaining greater works means doing something more miraculous than what Jesus has done. Um, I think we, you know, raising the dead is pretty miraculous. Walking water is pretty miraculous. I don't think it's necessarily an issue of quality, but an issue of quantity. You know, we're able to do way more than actually what Jesus did when he walked this earth in his, his ministry. Instead of 12 guys being in a location that, 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 that's, that's a couple square miles, you know, 50 or so square miles around that they're doing ministry, and now the entire world gets to experience Jesus and the supernatural power of God through, through healing and, and, and just the supernatural gifts of the Spirit 
in their lives. We, we get to demonstrate that. We get to go to the Walmarts and give words of knowledge to people and, and read their mail, so, so to speak. We get to pray for the sick and watch them recover. We can, we can do the supernatural miracles of God. We can demonstrate what, beyond that, we can demonstrate what it looks like to love. I think a bigger, a better starting point before we get to the supernatural is just learning how to love. Man, the church, we need to learn how to love. We need to put in, uh, to practice the love of Jesus. Amen. And so he says, greater works will you do. We go from two hands to 2.4 billion hands being able to be Jesus in this world. From one location to every country in the world. From one healing to, to thousands of healings everywhere. We are to be the extension of Christ on this earth. And the way that we're able to do that is because we have now been divinely connected with the Godhead. You and I are divinely connected to the Godhead. The most amazing thing about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that is God putting on the flesh of man, is that he has forever woven divinity into humanity and forever there will be humanity woven into divinity. Do you know that? Do you know that inside the trinity of God, the triune uh, God, that there is man, there is humanity there? And he will forever, we will forever be there with him. I'm not saying you're God, you know you. You're not God, but you have God in you. You're not God, but you're in God. Right? So we're called to be an extension of this. That you were divinely connected to the Godhead. And, and you were in the Father, and the Father is in you. Jesus does something incredible. And, and I love this throwback. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember what happens when God creates Adam, the first man, right? He goes in and he creates humanity. And he, he makes him from the dust. And the Bible says what? That he breathed into his nostrils, the ruach, the, the life of God breathed in, and, and he was animated. He became a living body, a living being. But something incredible happens. There's a, there's a throwback to that very thing over in John chapter 20. And it says this, John chapter 20. And so his disciples, uh, this was after Jesus has resurrected and his disciples are hiding in the house behind locked doors because they're fearful of what's taking place. And, and, and Jesus does this cool, really cool, like walk through the door act that he does that blows everybody away. And he walks into the room and he says to them, he says, peace be with you. And as Jesus, uh, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side and they were filled with joy and they saw the Lord. And again, he said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. Now watch this. And then, wow, this is so good. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he breathed on him. Here the Logos is the Logos of God. The, the word of God is breathing on his disciples, breathing on humanity and says, receive the Holy Spirit. What was taking place in this moment that was so incredible was that the Holy Spirit was yet again bringing uh, order to chaos bringing order to chaos, the new creation, the born-again experience, humanity's born-again experience. And so Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into his disciples. What a powerful, a powerful statement. What a powerful scripture. The word breathed right there. It, it actually, the word in, in Greek, uh, it kind of sounds like it's a Chinese word, right? It sounds like something you would order when you 
uh, order Chinese food. I love, we, we, we do a ketogenic diet, my wife and I, and, but we love having cheat meals. And, and when we cheat, we like to cheat with Chinese food because that's the best tasting food in the entire world. All my food, you don't need to know this, but I'm gonna tell you anyways. You didn't ask, but I'm gonna share with you anyways. All the food that I ever eat, it can't touch. My food has to be separated, right? But when it comes to Chinese food, my God, you just mix it all together. And it seems like with Chinese food, the more you mix it together, the better it tastes. Can I get a witness in here, somebody, right? So, so, but this word, okay, back to this. So the, the Greek word right here almost sounds like it's something you order from a Chinese menu. It's the Greek word, infusao, infusao. Infusal. Doesn't it sound like something you would order with some fried rice? And it says it's infusal. And it's in the aorist tense. And it says this is it's the beginning of something. It's the beginning of something. So when he breathed, he infusaled on his disciples, he breathed the Holy Spirit into them, and it was the beginning of something, but the beginning of what? The beginning of the new creation. Holy Spirit is in the creation business. He brings order out of chaos. He breathes life into death. He breathes life into death. This is the only time in the New Testament where this phrase is used. And when you go and you, and you go back and you read the Septuagint, now the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You know that the that, that, that Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. But you had uh, these scholars, these, these Jewish scholars go back years and years ago, and they retranslated the, 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 the Hebrew Bible into Greek, a modern language, and that was called the Septuagint. And so you would have... Uh, you had in the Septuagint this Greek phrase in the beginning with Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 where God breathed is the same phrase translated, the only place translated in the New Testament. It's the same thing. God is as close to you right now as the breath you breathe, church, because he is the breath that you breathe. There is no animation in your body apart from Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And let's go over there and read that real quick. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Y'all still with me? Give me some thumbs up, like some loves, do something. I'll see it later if you're still with me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. You're getting woke this, this evening, huh? Hebrews chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. And I'm going to read the full verse. A lot of times we quote the back half of this verse. But we don't quote the front part of this verse. And I think it's so important to quote the front part of this verse, particularly since we're living in the apocalypse. And there's so much anxiety and fear and worry about money right now. But look what it says. Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. How many of you that's good, solid advice from the scripture? Amen. Don't worry about money. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. And then he goes on and says this. Why is that the case? How in the world can I not worry about money? How can I not love money and be satisfied with, I, with what I have? Right here, it says it right here. He says, because I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. And because Holy Spirit will never fail us and because Holy Spirit will never abandon us, the following verse rings true. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? What can mere people do to, do to me? Remember, he said, I'm going to send a helper. Go back over to John. I know we're doing some scripture jumping tonight, but that's all right. It's good stuff. Amen. Back over to John real quick. A few more moments. Hang in there. John chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 26 and watch, this is Jesus again talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit coming. And it says, but when the Father sends the advocate uh, as my representative, 
that is Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. He will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything that I told you. And verse 27 says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who teaches us all things. He's the one that brings about revelation to our lives, that, that takes our, our Christian life from subpar to incredible and amazing and miraculous. He's the one that brings about that revelation. Now, revelation, church, is not all of a sudden seeing something that was never there. Revelation is seeing what has always been there. And the one who shows us what has always been there is Holy Spirit. He is the teacher of the church. He's also the one who empowers our intimacy. He's the one who empowers our intimacy. Holy Spirit gives us understanding and revelation. And he empowers our intimacy. Intimacy, uh, intimacy starts with, with knowing God. And who better, to, who better to, to help you understand and know God than God himself living on the inside of you? There's a difference between knowing God and knowing of God. I feel like many of us in, in the church today, we know of God because it's the box we check once a week when it's time to, now when it comes time to watch church, before it came time to go to church, we checked the box and we knew of God. We left and we knew of God. But man, what does it look like when we start fellowshipping with Holy Spirit? We begin to really know God. We begin to know God. We know God. I look, I go back to John chapter 14, verse 16. Let's go back up real quick. Verse 16, it says this. We'll read 16 to 20. And it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Again, we know that's, that's Holy Spirit, who will never, never leave you. Holy Spirit will never leave you. Never. You can run, but you can't hide. You can sow fig leaves. You can hide behind the bush, but you cannot outrun Holy Spirit. He never never leaves you. And it says this in verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him. Did you see what it said? It said the world can't receive him because he isn't looking for him. That means having an understanding. It doesn't mean the Spirit of God being present in their lives. It just means that they don't see him. They're not looking for him. Therefore, they don't see him. How many know you'll never find what you're never looking for, right? Okay. And it says, uh, because they isn't looking for him and they don't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. That is Jesus with him. He lives with you now and later will be what? In you. In verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. And verse 20. This is a powerhouse verse right here, guys. Verse 20, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That is exactly what we just got done talking about when I said that divinity is forever woven into humanity, and humanity is forever woven into divinity, right? That's incredible. It's powerful. Intimacy starts with inviting Holy Spirit into your house. Oh, I thought he's already there. He is there. But will you welcome him in? There's a difference. There's a difference, right? My kids are notorious. When, when a friend of theirs comes over to, to play, they'll come and knock on the door, and my kids will open the door 
and, and, and their friend just kind of holds the door there and they'll say, can you play? And my kids will go, oh, I don't know yet. Hold on a second, let me go check. And they leave and they come find my wife or myself and they'll ask us and carry on the whole conversation. Can we go play? And we're going to play, we're going to go here, we're going to go there. Meanwhile, the whole time, their friend's sitting there holding the door right there, um, just kind of looking like, I don't know what to do next. Like, you know, they kind of feel like Ricky Bobby. Like, they don't know what to do with their hands, right? So they're just kind of sitting there holding the door. Like, I don't know what to do next. And that's how we treat Holy Spirit. We, we have this moment of, 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 we call a salvation experience where, where faith is awakened in our hearts because we hear the message of Jesus Christ and we open the door for Holy Spirit right there, right? And, and then we just kind of leave him hanging out the front door. Listen, Intimacy is not just opening the door. Intimacy is inviting Holy Spirit to come in and hang out with you, right? It's inviting Holy Spirit to come into your living room. Man, relationships are built in the living room. Relationships are built around the dinner table. And so, man, what does it look like if we would just begin to, uh, just begin to fellowship with Holy Spirit? What things would he show us about God that we are utterly wrong on and can be uh, convinced of? Man, it is so good. There's a difference between the two. There's a difference with intimacy. There's a difference with husbands and wives when it comes to intimacy. Let me just speak to this for a moment and then I'll wrap up, right? For husbands and wives, we experience intimacy a lot different. You know, for me and my wife, you know, a lot of times it's shoulder to shoulder. For me, I experience intimacy via shoulder to shoulder. In other words, my wife and I can sit on the couch and we can binge watch Netflix for about five hours. And after about five hours, get done and all, look at my, oh man, that was an incredible time of hanging out. Thanks for hanging out with me today. We had a great time together. Meanwhile, my wife's looking at me like, we didn't do anything but watch what you wanted to watch on Netflix. You see, for my wife, intimacy looks more like eye to eye, face to face contact. You know, so 15 minutes of face to face contact, face to face uh, a dialogue with my wife looking into her eyes carries more weight for her than five hours on binge watching. Can I tell you something, church? Let's not be like that with Holy Spirit. Let's not just allow Holy Spirit to sit beside us and that's it. Let's get some face-to-face -face time uh, with Holy Spirit. Let's allow Holy Spirit to reveal to us just how incredibly good our God is. Listen, you can't go anywhere that Holy Spirit is not. He travels with you and in you, and he has empowered you, and it's an incredible thing. We believe in the supernatural power of God. We believe in, the, in, in what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but probably different than what you've been taught or think. We'll teach on that another time, the gifts of the Spirit and the miraculous works of the Spirit. But I want to start just right at this point. What is one of the most incredible things that's taken place after the cross is now God lives in you and you in him. Holy Spirit has made your body his residence. Man, what a powerful thing. So that answers the question for week three. Who is with me? Holy Spirit is with me. I cannot wait, guys, until next week. I'm going to be sharing some things that's going to make you scratch your head and go, what? So you definitely don't want to miss it, all right? Do me a favor, if you would. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let me pray for you, and then we will wrap this service up. Father God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your kindness, your peace. God, we just thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us. And Father, I pray 
right now. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just reveal to us, you would just make the connection points for us from this message, God, as we go throughout the rest of our week. Holy Spirit, just help us to see in a new way our loving Father, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, your power and working within us, help us to see and experience you in a new way. And so, Father, I thank you for the benefits of the cross. God, I thank you for, for everything that we have after the cross, God. And we just thank you for just being present with us, never leaving us, nor forsaking us. Father, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God, I cannot wait for